Bear Books presents Ending Samsara, written by JW Voice and read by Daisy Ray. Part 1, Chapter 10, A Half-Paid Debt Marcus ended the call, fighting a fierce impulse to vomit. It took him several minutes to overcome the trembling in his legs. Although his heart rate had resumed its normal pace, his stomach remained unsettled as he reread the article on his phone. The man wasn't lying. Frantically, he'd started to gather stuffed bags of his belongings, running outside with them through the back door of the house. He had no time to defend his behaviour to Matilda. She just stood by the door watching him pass her, seemingly waiting for an explanation. Come on, I said we have to go now. You said tomorrow. I just pack up all your shit right now. If you don't need it, leave it. I want to be out of here in less than an hour. An hour? No, I can't. Tilde, this isn't up for debate. I don't have time to go into it right now. Just get moving. Matilda looked like she was about to argue. Please. She threw her hands in the air and started sorting small items into a pile. Thankfully, Marcus had already managed a difficult part in the early hours. The produce and equipment was all safely on board. He'd stored all of the prepackaged items in the underfloor compartment and set up his chosen plants with the UV lamps in the upper deck. Tens of thousands of pounds worth of illegal horticulture all methodically packed away. He'd loaded bin bags, backpacks, duffel bags and holdalls. Just about every type of carrier he had at his disposal was filled to the brim. His newly purchased, but by no means new, motorhome was parked at the back of his property, blocking at least three of the shabby graffiti-covered garages. It took him eight or nine trips, but he thought he'd gathered everything. His life for the foreseeable future all crammed into the 32 by 8 foot space. As Marcus ran outside with the last of his personal gear, Tilde was slowly organising a suitcase. When he returned, she was motionless at the back door with the case still open in front of her. Come on, Marcus snapped, what are you doing? I just don't see why we have to go right this second. We've been safe nearly two weeks now. No one has tried to break in. You're not even sure yourself that they know where we live. You're right, Tilde. Those men, the ones that want to kill me, I can't be certain they do know where we live. He pointed towards the front of the house, and I have no proof that the van outside has anything to do with them. He ignored Tilde's clear intention to speak up. But now, as it turns out, we have another person to add to our growing list of enemies. He paused, then raised his voice slightly, and this guy knows exactly how to find us. Matilda frowned. So unless you want to wait around, he said even louder, to find out what his plan is, I suggest you stop questioning me and pack your goddamn case like I've been asking you. Marcus glanced at his wristwatch. You have 15 minutes. He hated being so short with her. It felt like reprimanding an infant for mild disobedience. Is there no way you could come back and get me tomorrow? Marcus ran his hand down his face. He groaned, but it came out more of a growl. What are you saying now? Someone needs to be here in the morning. Why? Jay is expecting an important delivery. I told him to send it here and I'd sign for it. 
with all due respect to old fuck Jay's delivery. But I promised I'd be in. It's his livelihood. He could be in a lot of trouble if he doesn't. If it was so important to him, he should have made sure he was around to receive it. You can call him later. Right now, you have ten minutes to get yourself packed and sitting in that motorhome. Or, or what, she said defiantly. They faced each other in a standoff. Tilde's large brown eyes glistened under the light and her bottom lip quivered ever so slightly. Just move, Marcus shouted so loud and forcibly that it made her flinch. She didn't argue with him after that. In fact, she didn't say another word for some time. Under normal circumstances, the silent treatment infuriated Marcus. At present, however, an intense tunnel vision kept him indifferent. He'd specifically asked for the motorhome to be parked at the back of his building, away from the dubious van out front, although witnessing the sheer size of the monstrosity for the first time made him realise that even straddling most of the pavement, it would have blocked off their road. This colossal camper was a significant upgrade from the ones he'd browsed previously, and the price had been suspiciously low for the spec, no surprise when considering the seller. From the outside, it was a stark and ugly spectacle. Silver scratches and patches of rust were the only distractions from the unremitting greyness of its body. The interior was nothing to swoon over either. Dismal grey colouring had claimed this too, sweeping across its walls and carpeting. The ostentatious pine woodwork seemed more in keeping with the early 90s rather than 2007 when it was supposedly built. It was unsightly, unfashionable, and he soon found that its sheer immensity made basic manoeuvring a chore. Despite all this, Marcus was head over heels in love. For its age, the mileage was exceptionally low, and the engine ran smoothly. Every electrical component, and there were many, was in perfect working order. It was also gloriously well-equipped and spacious, with an impressive kitchenette and king-size bed. Most importantly, though, it was his. Just sitting in the driver's seat gave him a boundless sense of freedom and untethered potential. His entire operation, his whole life, all situated in one vessel, fully mobilised with the turn of a key. On starting the engine in this first non-practice run, he felt a good deal of his anxiety wash away. The motorhome was filled with enough narcotics that he'd sooner risk a high-speed pursuit than be pulled over though he was certain the vehicle was incapable of anything resembling high speed. Still, he was heartened by the thought of finally regaining control of his destiny. No longer were they senseless, grazing ruminants oblivious to the lions hiding in the grass. All right then, here we go, he said. When they pulled onto the first dual carriageway that evening, it was 9.30pm and the roads were relatively clear. Tilde gave no response to this or any subsequent comment he made in an effort to break the tension. After the first hour of driving, which consisted of no further navigation than northwards, he started mentioning vague details of the plan. OK, babe, real talk. We need to start shifting some of the mushrooms pronto. It's the easiest, quickest thing to kick things off. So can you please get on the forums, get on EVAP, and start taking orders. We'll find a postbox first thing and send them out. EVAP was an encrypted messaging application used almost exclusively by criminals. This was where he orchestrated the bulk of his magic mushroom trade. Psychedelic mushrooms, despite being highly illegal, 
were the most convenient items to shift of everything he cultivated. They were odourless and could be packaged in neat little vacuum-sealed squares, making them incredibly easy to post. He'd also noticed a distinct increase in their demand over the last year or so, allowing him to steadily curate a comprehensive list of contacts on the little-known app, with buyers spread throughout the country. Any half-informed individual taking a glance at Matilda's bank account would have been deeply suspicious of the credits accumulating month by month. A profusion of personal transfers ranging from £40 to £200, and despite his constant remonstrations, he'd still find the odd moron citing shrooms as the payment reference. Tilde acknowledged his request with a silent nod and the unlocking of her phone. He was confident she would put her sulk on hiatus, disassociating her present feelings towards him with the business at hand. Aside from knowing he'd eventually need to stop somewhere, Marcus's options seemed unlimited. All he had was a range of unplanned destinations, half-soaked notions and a full tank of diesel. The latter instilled him with the most hope. He could drive through the night if he saw fit. Tilde was free to shuffle off to bed at any time and every mile he progressed would add another between them and the growing number of people who wanted to do him harm. His plan was for them to live a nomadic life and stay away long enough for things to blow over back home. And suppose it didn't? Then they'd permanently settle somewhere new. What was so beneficial about living in the overpriced outskirts of the capital anyway? He had no family to speak of. A few good friends, perhaps. But he could surely make new ones. The more he reflected on it, the more he realised that Tilde was the only one truly making sacrifices. She had a mother she was close with, a sibling she saw regularly and a string of loyal friends. Okay, we have to measure out seven standard portions of liberty caps, said Matilda, her eyes still locked onto her phone. Five different addresses scattered all over, but that won't matter, will it? No, he said, that won't matter. He found a lay-by along a country road and decided to pull into it. Why are we stopping here? Marcus sighed. Look, babe, he swivelled to the side, he gave his legs a stretch. I'm sorry about earlier, I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. Tilde kept her eyes on her phone screen. No, you shouldn't have. I was just really stressed out. Apparently my Bitcoin account was hacked. Your Bitcoin? He nodded. So this thing was out of our budget. Half of it was paid with that eight grand we'd saved. And for the other half, I sacrificed the whole of my Bitcoin wallet. He gritted his teeth. For about a quarter of what it was worth. She looked up at this. Oh babe, you said that was your nest egg. It was. Turns out, though, he paused, making sure to lock eyes with her. The wallet was emptied this afternoon. Tilde looked up now. Emptied? How? Couldn't tell you. Hackers, apparently. The point is, I'd passed the account over to this Russian geezer. He gave me the RV and now he feels like he's been cheated. Who is he? Some dude Amir links me up with. Serge, I think his name is. I'm pretty certain he's not the type of guy you want to piss off. He made some pretty clear threats on the phone earlier. But you gave him the eight grand in cash. You can't help it if that other account was hacked. If he accepted it, isn't that his problem now? I doubt he sees it like that. Anyway, he doesn't know our exact address. I met this guy at the garages, where he'd dropped the RV off, but I don't think they'd struggle to find our house number. Why didn't you tell me this earlier? We had to leave. 
I knew it wouldn't be long before he came for the rest of that money. Jay needed that parcel today, though, of course. It's a watch he was supposed to fix and send back tomorrow evening. He hasn't stopped blowing my phone up. Look. Tilde showed Marcus a string of notifications from her brother earlier that afternoon. He'd said, Are you still in tomorrow's for that parcel? Followed by, Let me know ASAP, Matilda, it's important. Then, lots of question marks. She'd also received 14 missed calls, the last of which attempted only a few minutes ago. Why didn't you just tell him you're not in tomorrow? He could have maybe done something about it if he knew you weren't. No, because then he'd ask why, and I'm not ready to go into that yet. Marcus didn't bother asking for a reasoning. He knew there was an unusual dynamic between Tilda and her older sibling. It was as if she were physically incapable of disappointing him. Her parents were long separated, and he saw many similarities between his girlfriend and the mother who'd raised her in both physical likeness and temperament. Freya, the Bangladeshi-born artist, was an incredibly free-spirited woman. Like Matilda, she was sweet and good-natured, fanciful and lacking common sense. Matilda had adopted her mum's maiden name, Basu. Her considerably older brother Jay, however, had been an adult when at the time of the split, and it was telling that he went by their dad's name, O'Doherty. It was much easier to say how he and his father were related, although Marcus had only met Mr O'Doherty a handful of times. It was clear he was a stern man, cold and prone to bouts of instability and shortness of temper, and it was evident that the apple did not fall far from the tree. No matter how amiable Jay attempted to be when Marcus was present, any fool could detect the severe passive-aggressive manner he occasionally adopted with Tilde. Most troubling, though, was a story she'd once shared with him in confidence. When she was a teenager, the two of them had once had an argument, which culminated in Jay trying to choke her. Marcus thought it best to stay out of family affairs, especially those long in the past, but he'd ever since been wary of the brother and held him in especially low regard. Look, without a signature, the parcel would just bounce back to the depot. He can go and collect it from there. Not without the slip he can't. Besides, he needs it tomorrow. I don't know what to tell you, babe, but we're not going back. Tilde stared at him without saying anything for a moment. It was clear she wanted to contend this decision. Perhaps having more tangible details to grasp, however, like a Russian with an actual name, gave reality to this new danger. Would you not just call the police, this Serge guy? Joking, aren't you? I think he'd sooner take the financial hit than have pigs sniffing around him. I see. Sounds just like the guy you'd want to do business with. Marcus shrugged. This thing was a bargain. Tilde rubbed her eyes and yawned. Where are we sleeping tonight? You can sleep whenever. What's that supposed to mean? You just need to put the sheets on the bed. He nodded behind him. I haven't planned on stopping for a while. It's too late to find a campsite and we're not staying in a lay-by. Tilde often called Marcus a high-functioning insomniac. The idea of driving through the night did not seem like an ordeal, and at present he was far too amped up to sleep. It also gave him comfort to try to put as much distance between them and home in a single drive. If he felt his eyelids starting to feel heavy, he'd simply stop at a service station, splash some cold water on his face and soldier on. Tilde stretched. Okay. Well, don't forget about the deliveries. They're all on my phone.
Despite grunting in the affirmative, Marcus had no intention of arranging the deliveries himself. She was the early bird of the relationship, and he'd sooner risk another argument tomorrow than halt his progress now. No, he thought. Just keep driving. Let her post the gear in the morning. Marcus had been oscillating between several strategies of escape as he attempted to contend with the trauma of recent events. The further he considered it, the more his campervan plan had seemed the only solid option. From his initial fantasies of hitting the road to sitting behind the wheel in the present moment, it still felt like the correct decision. All the freedom in the world could not keep the demons fully at bay though. The image of Gaza's hanging body still haunted him whenever he was left with a moment to think. The man's contorted, panic-stricken face, the way he helplessly scratched at the cable, Marcus knew these images might never leave him. He could only hope they would become less vivid over time. The dealer had developed a talent for suppressing unwanted memories. It came with practice, he'd been doing it since early childhood. Perhaps he'd overly romanticised his plan of indefinitely roaming, just him and Tilde on a glorious endless road trip with the occasional bit of work scattered here and there. The reality seemed far less certain and he was still the same person with the same emotional baggage no matter how far they travelled. He lamented his virtual nest egg, the one thing he thought he'd never sacrifice. Perhaps he should see the hacking as a blessing. He'd have lost the currency regardless, at least now he had the motorhome to show for it. Back on the lonely motorway, virtually deserted at this ungodly hour, and with Tilde fast asleep, he felt his chest tight with apprehension. In the compartment to his right was a box filled with pre-rolled joints. He decided to light one. After twenty minutes or so trundling down the slow lane, he could almost feel his disquiet start to dissolve. He flicked through the radio channels, skipping songs and listening to the ones with chatter, anything that gave him some small sense of inclusion and cheerful association. With the second joint burning a little while later, he found himself deeply engrossed in a lively discussion about the source of creativity. It was perhaps only the pleasant patter of conversation that captivated him. The bouncy cadence and energetic manner one woman conveyed her points with, the florid details, such as reference to artists and musicians he'd never heard of, sailed entirely over his head. Presently, he was in a nice, distracted groove. His eyes were fixed on the road and his mind wandered only in accordance with the resonances of the radio. He was finally starting to feel relaxed, achieving a peaceful apathy he'd not experienced for weeks. Then he saw it in his rearview mirror. A black Ford Transit with tinted side windows. It slowed down in the overtaking lane and moved towards him. Marcus froze with panic. If you'd like to learn more about J.W. Voice, the author of this story, pop along to the show notes where you'll find a link to him right there. And as for Bear Books Podcast, we're on all your favourite social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you on the next episode. Bye.